keeping with last week's service in which we were recounting God's faithfulness to us over the years, and particularly um, this past year and looking ahead to the years to come, um, Pete and I thought that we would continue this theme as we prepare for the end of the month when we will be focusing on our uh, Global Missions Forum on January 26th. So we thought that we would spend these first two weeks continuing to look at God's faithfulness, but looking more so at what are the implications of God's faithfulness. You know, what is then required of us because God is faithful to us? And then we will wrap up this month and the last two Sundays of the month looking at the biblical mandate for all of us being uh, involved and having a responsibility in global missions. So with that, we'll be looking this week at the first nine verses in the book of Joshua. I'll be reading out of the Pew Bible. It's page 151 in that. Now, while you're turning there, I just have to say, I, I love this text. This is one of my favorite texts. And if you remember, three years ago, I think it was our first New Year's Eve service that we did. Not the Christmas Day one, but the one that we did um, on New Year's Eve. I use this text to show how Joshua is perfectly situated in a time and a place where he can look back at the wilderness and see all of God's faithfulness to his people for the last 40 years, but also turn and look across the Jordan River and say, there is so much more faithfulness ahead of us, right? There is so much more that God is going to provide for us once we get to that promised land. That's why I love this text, because he's like, he's like ready to remember, but also ready to go forward. Well, it's January 5th, and it's January 5th of 2020, which is wild to think about. I saw something online the other day that said 2020 is just as far away from 1990 as it is from 2050, which is just insane. I just can't even, I don't want to think about it. But um, it's becoming trendy, if you will, to think back on the last 10 years, right? It's a new decade. We're looking back at the last decade of our lives and saying, what, Lord, have you allowed us to go through, right? And in many ways, as we look back at the last decade and we look forward to the next decade and beyond, we're kind of symbolically standing with Joshua on the shores of the Jordan River here, where we are in this perfect somewhat situation to look back and say, God, what have you done? You know, what, what have you done that's proven your faithfulness to me while still looking forward and saying, there is so much more. There is so much more that God's going to do for us. So, as we've been thinking about God's faithfulness, especially last week, which last week's service, I mean, thank you all for, for your participation. I thought it was just so, such a blessing, at least to me. It was such a blessing to uh, hear from all of you about God's faithfulness to your lives. And, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, what is the purpose of God's faithfulness? And that's a weird question maybe to ask. Um, you know, what is the purpose of God's faithfulness? Because I started thinking about it. Is, it. is God faithful to us because he wants our lives to be easy? No, probably not. That's probably not the answer. Is it because God wants us to like him all the time? That he wants to give, you know, show favor and blessings so that we're never unhappy with God's decisions? No, definitely not that one either. So I started asking myself, is God's faithfulness just for the sake of itself... Or is there actually something to be done on our part as a result of his faithfulness? So I want to suggest to you this morning that God's faithfulness, although given to us unconditionally, is given to us for a purpose as well. 
And specifically, I want us to see that God's faithfulness to us should result in our faithfulness to him and to his mission. Right? God's faithfulness to us should result in our faithfulness to him and to his mission. So let's see how this is made clear in Joshua 1 this morning as we read the first nine verses together. Joshua writes, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide or assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land, I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text, and and, and more importantly, we thank you that this is history, Lord, that this is what you've done for your people, that in so doing this, thousands and thousands of years ago, we are here today, that your faithfulness still abounds to us. Lord, help us to see what you would have for us to hear, to know, and to uh, apply to our lives out of this text this morning. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this text is God's commission of Joshua before he takes charge of those who are entered to enter the promised land. And in this great commissioning text, we see two different foci, both having to do with the faithfulness of God. The first four verses focus on God's faithfulness to his people, while the last five verses focus on the response of God's people to his faithfulness. So I want to look at these two things this morning. So first we see in this text, in the first four verses, we see God's faithfulness to his people. Let's see if I got this to work. This wasn't working today. Well, now we're not going to use that. God's faithfulness to his people. That's all right. Everything up there is in the Bible. So you'll see it in front of you. So first, God's faithfulness to his people. To this point... Moses has led God's people all the way up through the wilderness for 40 years after saving them from slavery in Egypt. And as he gets to the shores of the Jordan River, with the promised land in sight, he dies. This is no surprise. This was no accident. You actually can read. This was exactly what God said was going to happen. And as the book of Joshua opens with Moses' death and his assistant Joshua standing with God's people ready to enter the promised land... I imagine there was a little bit of uh, 
uncertainty, right? I imagine that Joshua might have had some, uh, some knocking knees at this point where he's looking across and saying, this is what God has promised me, but here I am. Moses is dead. He's been leading us this whole time. I'm not quite sure what to do now. And in many ways, Joshua's commissioning sets the scene and the theme for the entire book of Joshua. You see, back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God had promised Abraham three distinct things. First, he had promised him descendants. Then he had promised him that that he would have um, blessings, which he would then use to bless the nations around him. And third, he was going to fulfill his final promise to him by giving them a land to live in. Well, up to this point, at the end of Deuteronomy, Abraham's descendants are numerous. They have received blessing after blessing throughout their time up to Egypt, in Egypt, and away from Egypt, but they haven't gotten the land yet. And here they are staring at the land, and the book of Joshua is all about God's faithfulness to fulfilling that final promise of giving Israel the land. And in that vein, God opens up the talking in the book of Joshua, right? No one says a word until God does in Joshua. And he says this to Joshua in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. The first way he recounts his faithfulness to his people is by reminding them that this is the land that has always been promised to them since the time of Abraham. If you go back in Genesis, he actually promises it to Abraham in chapter 12, verse 7, in chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, again in chapter 15, 18 to 21. He promises this land to him over and over again, just to Abraham alone, and then you read the rest of the Pentateuch and you see that this land is promised to them over and over and over. And he just wants to make sure that there's no um, confusion at this point Where God didn't just say, well, I was going to give you a land, but this one's good enough. No, God wants them to see, I have been faithful to you up to this point where here you are staring at the land that I have promised your forefathers. This third part of this patriarchal promise is about to come true. They are finally going to enter this promised land. He then continues in verses 3 and 4. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness to Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward uh, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. If you look at a map, he's literally laying borders. He's laying all the way to the west, all the way to the east, all the way to the north, all the way to the south. He says, all of this will be for you. So the second way he recounts his faithfulness is is by showing them the boundaries that he has set for this land. They won't need to go into the land and try to figure out what God has promised to them, right? You know, oh, is this part of the land, or is this part of the land? God has shown them his faithfulness by saying, every inch of the land I'm giving you has already been predetermined. You won't have to figure it out when you get there. But it is only theirs, should they take the act of faith of going over the Jordan River and placing their soles of their feet on it, Right? I imagine Joshua is standing there, he's looking at the Jordan River, it's a hundred feet wide, and he's looking up, and he's looking down, and there's not a bridge in sight, there's not a a part of uh, the river where land is there to cross it, to go across, and he's looking at this and saying, okay, God has promised us this land, and I'm looking and saying, I don't even know how we're going to get over to the land. 
He's also probably standing there going, I was one of the 12 scouts who went and scouted the land, and I remember what I saw in that land, right? We were as grasshoppers, so they were like giants. I mean, he's, th- there are several reasons why Joshua could have easily looked at the promises of God before him and said, mm, this looks hard, I'm going to go back, right? I mean, Israel tries to do that every step of the way through the wilderness. But he has to take that first step. This land was theirs as a result of God's promise and faithfulness to them, but at this moment, it very much wasn't theirs, right? It wasn't going to be easy to receive that promise. And this is the beginning of the transition to the point that I want to make this morning. God's faithfulness to us, although a result of his unconditional love for us, often depends on a response of faith and trust on our part. It is not a completely passive thing in which we just sit back and experience God's faithfulness. You know, oh, thank you, Lord, that you just are faithful all the time and we're just going to sit and enjoy that. Instead, it involves action and faithfulness on our part as well. And this shouldn't be hard to understand, right? If, if God is faithful to his end of the covenant, and we've talked for two months now about the covenant of God that he is faithful to, if he is faithful to his end of the covenant, it should not surprise us that we are expected to show our own part of covenant faithfulness. So, we first go from recounting God's faithfulness to his people throughout the generations to the second part, which is our faithfulness to God. These final five verses function as a sort of chiasm, and this is actually why I wanted to use the slides today, so I wanted you to see this structure um, if you remember, I know Floyd's not here to explain all these fancy terms, and so I'll do my best. Chiasm is a structure of argument in which the first and the last parts are the exact same, the second and the fourth parts are exactly the same, and it funnels down, and in the middle is the big main point that he wants to make. So it's bookended with, with one thought. It has, you know, secondary bookends in the middle um, of a second thought, and then the very middle is actually the focal, focal point that he really wants to drive home. So these last five verses are structured like that. And it all starts with this outward bookends, kind of with this hinge verse in verse 5, between God's faithfulness and our response of faith, where he says this, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's the top half. And then at the bottom half, We go to the end of verse 9 and we read this. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So we've just recounted God's faithfulness. And in essence, the response to God's faithfulness begins and ends with the promise of God's divine presence wherever we go. Right. So he says, I have always been faithful to you. There's going to be a response on your end. But before I even get to that, let me remind you, both by starting and ending my argument with this very important truth. No matter what you do, if you are faithful on your end of this covenant, my presence will be with you wherever you go. We can be confident then of the steps of faith that we're called to take for our Lord because of the promise that God is always with us wherever we go. Now this would have had special significance for Joshua, as Moses' assistant, since he saw firsthand how God was always with Moses. 
right? He went partway up Sinai. So not only did the rest of the Israelites stay at the bottom of the mountain and were terrified to even go anywhere near it, instead, Moses, or Joshua actually goes halfway up. So he's like part of the lightning storm and the clouds and the power of God's glory on Mount Sinai. He knows what that's like to have God's presence there. He also would go with Moses to the tents of meeting, where Moses would go in and he would converse with God, and when he came out, his face would be glowing from the God's glory. So Joshua has first-hand experience of what it would look like for God's presence to be with them just as it was with Moses. But he also, as Moses' assistant, had heard these promises before. Right? In Deuteronomy 11.25, God says to his people, No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you tread as he promised. Likewise, in Deuteronomy 31.8, he actually says directly to Joshua, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So Joshua would have taken this you know, beginning and ending of God's faithful presence with him, and he would have said, I know exactly what that means. I know exactly what that means to have God's presence with us just as it, he was with Moses. But I also remember that God has always promised this. God promises back in Deuteronomy 11. He promised it to me in Deuteronomy 31. And here he is, Joshua 1. He's promising it to me again. So just as Moses had had God's presence every step of the way, so too would Joshua be directed by the Lord's presence as has always been promised to him. So God's faithfulness to his people leads to this bookend of his presence with his people. We then get a step further into this. We see in verses 6 and the beginning of verse 9, this. In verse 6 he says, Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And in the beginning of verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Again, the end of that is, For the Lord your God will never leave you. The divine presence in the front and the back of this section leads to God's command for his people to be strong and courageous. In other words, this strength and courage only comes from the trust that God will never leave us or abandon us. And again, this, this command is actually a repetition of what God had already said to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31. And is a reminder that he will need this God-given strength and courage to be faithful in his task to inherit the land and to resist being terrified by what he might find there. Again, he's standing on the shores of the Jordan... There's no clear path across. He remembers what he saw in the land. And God's saying, I've always been faithful. I'm going to continue to be faithful. And he's going, I know I can, tr- I know I can believe that. I know I can. But I'm, I'm nervous. And he says, first, don't worry. I'm going to be with you. And second, be strong and courageous. Don't be dismayed. Don't fear. You don't have to fear those that look like giants in comparison to you that look like grasshoppers because the Lord is with you and he's always been faithful. You see how his argument starts on the outside and is getting, is getting closer and closer to the point he's trying to make here. Again, think about the magnitude of the task that was set before Joshua. Had it not been framed in God's presence with them that would never leave or forsake them, 
it surely would have seemed to have been an impossible task. Instead, he tells him to be well assured, full of courage, not alarmed by what's in front of you. God's covenant faithfulness to us expects a response of covenant faithfulness on our part. Or again, as I've said earlier, God's faithfulness to us should result in our faithfulness to him and to his mission. Now, we keep reading, you know, God will never leave you and forsake you. God will never leave you forsake you. And I know we all know our Bibles back to front. So just think for a minute, where in the New Testament have we heard that promise to us before? We know. It's in Matthew 28. It's in what we affectionately call the Great Commission. Right? And, and, and the divine presence there frames our task as disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Again, with God's assurance of his presence, he commissions Joshua, and when we get to Matthew 28, he commissions us to be strong and courageous as we set out to do the work that he has set before us and commissioned us to do. So we have God's faithfulness, we have his divine presence, we have the reminder to be strong and courageous because of that. But there's one last thing, and this is where we get to the middle part, right? We land in verses 7 and 8, and we see there that God's presence leads to the command to be strong and courageous in completing the task, which focuses then on what Joshua will need to do to stay on mission in all this. And we read in 7 and 8 here, Only be strong and very courageous. Now I'm going to stop there. This is the third, it's the second time, but this is out of three times he says be strong and courageous. And here he emphasizes it. Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Here he says only be strong and courageous. Right? The, the NIV here said it like this. Be strong and very courageous. Right? It's emphasizing that this task in particular is going to be the tough one. Which, when you read it, is going to be a little surprising, I think. At least it was to me. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's presence gives us strength and courage for our mission, but meditating on his word gives us encouragement and instruction we need for the task. For Joshua here, this would have meant the first five books of the Bible. This would have meant the Pentateuch. That's all he would have had. And he was to listen and follow all that was written there without straying from them, meditating on it day and night in order that he would prosper and have good success. God says he will only be successful in the mission that he has laid out for him, inheriting the promised land, if he dwelt on God's promises, he obeyed his commands, and meditated on these things day and night. Similarly for us, a deep understanding and application of scripture is our key to living successful lives. Now don't mishear me. It's kind of dangerous to use the word success or prosper in a church setting. 
the Hebrew terminology here has nothing to do with worldly success or wealthy success, but has everything to do with accomplishing one's mission and acting with keen insight in any circumstance that presents itself. So our responsibility to meditate or or read thoughtfully God's word is for the purpose of equipping, informing, and encouraging us for the mission that God has put before us. Just like Joshua, everything we do is subservient to God's word. What I mean by that is, it's really easy, and again, it's, it's somewhat trendy. I know I keep using that word, but um, it's, it's somewhat trendy today to say, you know, what is the mission of the church? What is our mission as the church? And, it's really, and we start to go, okay, well, the mission is we have to feed the hungry, and our mission is we have to make sure we're serving the community, and our mission is we have to make sure we have good discipleship programs, and our mission is, and we forget that our mission is clearly laid out for us in Scripture, that our mission is not ours to decide, but is already given to us in God's Word. Everything we do is subservient to God's Word, and if we do not turn to the left or to the right from it, we will find that we have been faithful to God's call on our lives and therefore successful and prosperous. So we see here in this big picture, as I try to sum this up here, what's being shown here is that the recounting and the remembering of God, God's faithfulness to us over the years leads to the realization that we are to respond in covenant faithfulness of our own. In this vein, God begins this text and ends with the assurance of his presence with us wherever we go. Then he gives us the strength and the courage to step out in faith and faithfulness to the mission that God has laid before us. And as we step out in faith, we find that the only way that we are going to have success in in this and prosperity in this is if we meditate on and stay focused to God's word, seeing what he's called us to do. God's presence leads to encouragement, which leads to our faithfulness as we dwell on God's word and respond in action to the mission that God has given to each one of us here. So as I said in the beginning, God's faithfulness to us should result in our faithfulness to him and his mission. And as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to do something corny, because it's January 5th and I can And I'm going to give you three New Year's resolutions from this text. I'm not one for resolutions. Many of you probably aren't one for resolutions. And you're going to see when you read these, these are not for this new year alone. This is who we are in Christ. But instead of calling them takeaways, I'm going to call them New Year's resolutions. Here's three things that I want us to think about, particularly this week. And particularly, and so to be fair, I'm calling them New Year's resolutions because... We are like Joshua, right? We're standing, we're looking back at God's faithfulness, we're looking forward, it's 2020, what has God done, where is he going? And I want us this week, as we're in that mindset still, to think about these three things. First, take time this week to sit, reflect, and recount on God's faithfulness to you over the last decade. I heard from many of you last week, some who shared, some who didn't, that the, the exercise in thinking about God's faithfulness is a really difficult one, but is actually a really edifying one. It's one that's really good for us. So I would encourage you, you know, 
that even though everyone is doing this right now, you go on Facebook, everybody's saying, this is what I've done the last 10 years. Instead of focusing on everything that you've done in 10 years, step back and think about everything that God's done for you in the last 10 years. I mean, for me, it's been amazing. 10 years ago, I was like just at the beginning of this like spiritual reawakening in my life where God had kind of slapped me silly and said, you're being dumb. You know, you remember what I had commanded you. Follow me. I was a sophomore in college. That summer, I went to work at a summer camp as a camp counselor. I was teaching a Bible study, right? I was kind of getting back in the groove. I hadn't really been in the Bible that much as of late. And I'm teaching a Bible study, and a chaplain comes up to me and says, you know, you're really gifted in teaching the Bible. You should think about doing this. At this point in my life, I'm going to go do sports medicine. I'm going to, you know, go enjoy sports for the rest of my life. And this chaplain stops me and says, I think you should go into ministry. And my whole life was turned upside down because that's not what I thought I was going to do. So I dropped my major. (laughs) I transferred schools to explore this path. So I find myself at a new school where I have all these opportunities to learn about God, to study the Bible, to experience ministry. God's faithfulness sustains me on all that. He then gives me this opportunity to come up here and study at Gordon-Conwell, to not only study one, but two master's degrees, to, to dig deeper into God's Word, and more importantly, to have a lot of my passion come out, to really, feel, to really see that, you know, God, you're calling me to, to really have a passion for evangelism, you're having a passion for outreach, for teaching, for preaching, and he's pulling all this out of me. And while I'm here... God leads me to, to Lanesville, and if you've never heard the story of how I ended up at Lanesville, come talk to me. It's wild. It makes absolutely no sense, and you cannot leave that story and say God was not a part of that, because I really would never have found this church if it wasn't for God. So God brings me here. In so doing, no, I don't have to convince you that God has given me ministry opportunities. I'm standing before you. But not the least, I met my wife, who has been my biggest supporter and my biggest encouragement every step of the way in this ministry. And I tell you what, for 10 years, I have done everything in my power to mess it up. I really have. I, I just, I'm just so human. I'm just so human at times. And God has been so faithful to me. And God has just led me every step of the way. And God has brought me to this point in my life. And it's truly incredible. So I encourage you to spend time this week and just sit there for 10, 15 minutes and just think back on the last 10 years. Say, where was I 10 years ago today? And just kind of walk through your life. And after you've done saying all the things I've done, think about and go, but where was God's hand in all that? You know, where was God directing my steps? It's truly powerful. It's truly edifying. And I think you'll find it to be a worthwhile endeavor. So think about that. Second, create a devotional plan this year to be meditating and dwelling on God's word. Right? The focal point of this text was only be strong and courageous to not sway from God's word. He was saying that inheriting the lands and not being afraid was of lesser importance and was actually easier to do than meditating on his word. And I'm thankful that right now, as a church, we're going through these missions devotionals. I'm thankful because my own devotional life started 10 years ago when my church in PA decided to go through a devotional plan of reading through the Bible together in a year. And that, for me, created this habit of, in my life 
to wake up and read scripture every morning. I needed, I'm the type of person, I needed the push and I needed the discipline and the structure in order to create a habit. So I'm thankful that we as a church are going through these devotionals right now because for at least a month it's giving us an opportunity to study and meditate on God's word together. Now I would encourage you to allow this month of meditating on God's uh, call for us in global missions to then create the habit and the discipline to create a devotional plan for February and beyond. Because if we are not people of the word, it will be all too easy to stray to the left and to the right, losing focus of our mission and forgetting the promises of God that are laid out for us in his word. So make sure you have a plan and a discipline of prayer and scripture reading this year. And finally, as we stand on these these metaphorical shores of the Jordan, take some time this week to look across the water and ask God, where do I need to take a step of faith this year in response to your faithfulness to me? Another way of saying this is to seek to discern what frontline God has given you for ministry this year. Again, I think it's, it's all too easy to dwell on God's faithfulness and say, Lord, you have been so good to me, and just rest on those promises, rest on that comfort, and just stay within our safe and cozy spaces. But God has been so unbelievably faithful to us that not only did he give us the gift of salvation in which all of our sins have been completely forgiven, but he has created us to be new creations. He has filled us with the power of his Holy Spirit, and he has sent us and commissioned us out to go into this world and make a difference. And his faithfulness in doing all that would be quite wasted, in my opinion, if we said, thank you for the spirit, thank you for the new creation, thank you for the forgiveness. I'm going to hang on to it right here. So I, I, I know it's cheesy to talk about being faithful to God's call as a New Year's resolution. But why not take the time that we're already told in our culture to think about the next year and think about what you're going to do and the new you and all this stuff. Why not take this moment in time to sit back and as you're recounting God's faithfulness and you're thinking about how am I going to be in your word every day, how am I going to be in communication with you every day in prayer, take the moment and say, what are you preparing me to do this year? What is that step of faith that I need to do? Because Joshua is standing on these shores here, and he has no idea how he's getting into the promised land. And before you know it, the sea parts again. It's like, it's like he would have remembered that God can do that already. He just did it 40 years ago. The sea parts, the, the river parts, they go across, and here they are. In the, and we stand here, and we're saying, God, what do you need me to do? But if you read the text, they had to take a step of faith into the river first to find out that God could do that. They didn't just stand there and go, we're not getting our feet wet. No, God, you need to do it first. No. Ask God, what are you calling me to do? I'm going to get my feet wet. I'm going to be quite uncertain whether or not I have to go in into my waist, if I'm going to have to carry all my belongings over my head, whatever it is. But ask God, Lord, what are you preparing me to do this year? Where do I need to be faithful? Where do I need to step out in faith? Where is the front line that God is equipping us for this year? So God's faithfulness to us should result in our faithfulness to him and to his mission. So take time this week to remember God's faithfulness, 
to dwell on his word and his promises there, and to ask him to show you how you can respond in faithfulness to the mission he is preparing for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this word. We thank you, most importantly, Lord, that you are here with us today, that your presence is the thing that gives us strength and courage, that your presence is the thing that wakes us up in the morning, that your presence is what gets us out of bed and allows us to recount your great promises, to find the joy of the Lord that is our strength, and to be ready and equipped and mobilized to be your hands and feet in this world that so desperately needs your presence to be seen and to be made manifest. Lord, may we remember all the times of faithfulness that you have shown in our lives And may we look forward to the times of faithfulness that you are preparing us to be a part of. Show us, Lord. Open our eyes and our hearts. Give us a burden and a passion for the lost. Give us a passion for the ministry, the front line that you are preparing each one of us to do. And may we be faithful, just as Joshua and your people were in this text, to take that step of faith into the river and know that you have already promised us victory in this. Be with us in all this. We know you are, and we are so thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.